Well, it's been a little while since I've actually been in the pulpit to preach. Um, I, when we started this series, as I said a couple of weeks ago, we designed the series uh, with the thought in mind that whoever had the, had the authority or the anointing or the message for the specific topic, we wanted them in the pulpit. There was one time where I was supposed to preach, but because of jury duty um, I, and, and a couple other reasons, I felt like that it was impossible, but specifically for the jury duty, I couldn't do it, and so Brendan stepped in. So I was supposed to be up a couple of weeks ago. So it's been about four weeks since I've been in the pulpit. But I haven't, been, I haven't missed Sunday morning, and I never intended to, because I wanted to be here to, to listen and allow God to speak to me. And I wanted you to know as your pastor that the things that we're talking about are not delegated topics for me. Uh, they are um, at the core, I believe, of the heart of God. And I believe they're at the core of the mission of the church. And so I've been sitting in a seat just like you and saying, God, what do you have for me this morning? It's been a, it's been a wow series. I feel like I'm drinking from a fire hydrant, but it hasn't been refreshing. You know, it's like, ah, God, another thing? Could you please stop? And I know some of you have felt that way as well, that the topics that we've touched on have not been light topics. But if we don't touch on them, if we don't talk about them, who's going to talk about them? And who's going to talk about them in the way that God wants us to talk about them? And who's going to learn how to talk about them if we don't share how to talk about them? And so... It's been uncomfortable. When Keith got up and said, you know, shared the statistics and shared just the background and the data on what's happening with orphans in our state and what what little the church is doing. Uh, And then he he said, God woke you up and said, you don't have compassion. And, And I want you to know the message that Keith preached was that God spoke that to him. And I'm thinking, if Keith doesn't have compassion, we're in trouble. But the word was piercing to me. Because I'm like, God, I I agree with him. I am very comfortable. Not because I feel like I'm callous, but I'm comfortable just to move on and go along even when there's need around me that I can do something about. I want to say this for me, and partly because I, I know my Savior. I never walked out of any message with guilt. And I never felt, and Keith told us from day one, don't feel compelled to do anything that God's not calling you to do. And nobody should leave any of these messages with guilt. The only thing that we say is, God, convict where you want to convict. Change where you want to change. And inspire us to do what you want us to do. And then we, I don't know if it's the next week or one of the weeks, Brendan gets up here and he preaches and he invites here and, and talks about how we're to welcome a stranger and I'm like, oh man, just hearing a little portion of his story just made me um, uh, broken, convicted of how much I take for granted that is given to me. The peace and comfort of coming to this church without fear of, of the church blowing up or being put in jail because I believe in Jesus. The comfort of knowing that I have 
tons of friends and family around me that would care for me at any moment if something happened to me, and he's on a journey where he doesn't have anyone except us. That's convicting. And yet God brought him and others, multiple people in this room that, are, that heard his story, said, that's me too, to, to be with us. And then Pierce got up, and then the next week, Brennan and Julia got up, and we talked about racism. And we said, you know what? The first place to talk about racism is to talk about it. The first place to confront it is to say, it happens. And it doesn't just happen 200 years ago. It didn't happen just 50 years ago. It happens now. And it's not always intentional. Sometimes it's unintentional, but it happens. And the reason we know it happens is because people in this room can stand up and say, it's happened to me. It's happened to me in big ways. It's happened to me in small ways. It happens to me in such a way that I have to kind of think about what my life is going to be like and how I'm going to journey. We heard Tulia talk about her, her struggle with what it would be, what she was wrestling with in raising her children in this world where she still feels the pangs of racism. And we said, let's talk about it. And so people started to talk about it. And you know what? I got offended because people started talking to me. And all of a sudden, I realized that I, the, this person, this pastor, who doesn't think he's racist, has tendencies that I'm not aware of, that I don't want to be a part of my life. I was brought up to speed on what somebody else in my circle of friends, my church, has experienced that I have not experienced, and the blinders were taken off my eyes, and it was uncomfortable. But how many of you know the gospel is not comfortable? The cross is not, was not a pleasant journey for Jesus. And if we're going to see change, and if we're going to be the kind of church that God wants us to be, we have to be open. So I came into this week with lots of conversations, both with people in our church and in my mind. Anybody talk to yourself? I talk to myself a lot. There's been a lot of conversations this week. Because I was preaching, and I was like, God, what do I do? And as I studied and as I prepared, I wrote about ten messages. And then God drafted a different kind of message through me this morning. This morning, I'm not going to preach as much as I'm going to speak a spoken word. I'm going to be a little poetic, a little bit abstract, and allow the Spirit of God to speak to you in a way that maybe He doesn't norm, normally speak to you through me. So would you journey with me this morning as we look, I believe, as we wrap up this series at God who is our reconciler. God. He created the world. He was they. Let us make man in our image. And they did. Man, woman, people, clans, nations. More than one, two, a few, many, billions, different, the same. Compliments, challengers, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And they on earth enjoyed God.
They walked together and talked. They named and cultivated and ruled. They fellowshiped in honor and respect and love. Perfectly how they, God, had been living for eternity past. Perfectly how they, God, wanted to live with they, humans, for eternity now and forever. And then sin came in. Sin. I don't trust you, God. You're holding out on me, God. I'm different than you, but I'm like you. I want your power, your knowledge. I want more than you're giving me, God. I don't trust you, God. Sin. Sin brought death. It brought separation from God. It also brought division among God's creation. Separation between man and God. They would have to leave the garden and strike out on their own. They would die. They would be alone. Division between God's creation. The ground will be hard and bare thorns. Strife will be between husband and wife, brother and brother. Power dynamics would emerge, lording over, usurping. Not long after sin entered, brother kills brother. And thus begins the story of history. Without communion with God and His righteousness and love and grace, we are doomed. And we are divided. Sin brings death. It brings poverty. It brings sickness. It brings, brings relational brokenness. You name what ills us and its root is sin. Sin. All that is not God. That is not like God. That is far from God. Even in calling a people, a clan, a nation to himself. Abraham and his descendants and giving them his laws through Moses and being with them by day and by night, we still sinned. And the ills of man and mankind continue. They continue. Sure, there were times that were better than others, but in the end, history always repeats itself. Anger begets anger. Wars beget wars. His goodness and His rightness was defined in the laws and by the prophets. Love and worship God alone. Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't be unfaithful. Don't be disrespectful. Don't covet. Walk humbly and rightly with God and man. And the laws and prophets also define the good we ought to do. Love mercy. Extend grace. Forgive even when they don't deserve it. Care for the orphan. Care for the widow. Welcome the stranger. Feed the hungry. Show hospitality to those who have need. Visit the prisoner. Defend those who are mistreated or oppressed. Love. And don't hate. Love God. And others as you love yourself. His nature, His character have always been displayed from the beginning of time to today. He says we are, we are without excuse if we say we don't see it. Even the rocks, the sky, the stars in creation shout out, He lives! He's alive! We are without excuse of the knowledge of God. God knew ahead of time that the laws and the revealing of who He is and what He is like would not save people. No person can keep all the laws. Not anyone. We sin. He knew that the law would reveal to people that we, that they, we, we need God. 
They, we need help being good. They, we need help getting back to the garden, the place of relationship, the place of trust, the place of peace, the place of hope. They, we are doomed to repeating cycles of sin. The dividing walls of hostility would stay up. Wars of words and bullets would continue to rain down mercilessly. And ultimately, we would kill ourselves off unless someone stepped in and helped. That someone was God. The righteous and perfect God. The God who knew no sin and is motivated at all times by love. Jesus, God, the name above every name, and at whose feet everyone will bow. Jesus stepped in, and he accomplished for us what we could not do for ourselves. He freed us from the power of sin and brought us back to God. Listen to how Paul describes it in Ephesians 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, followers of Christ, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following the desire, its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Christians in this room, we were dead in sin before Jesus. Satan, in his rebellion that fills the world, ruled us. Lusts, cravings, sin. And we deserved wrath and judgment. But Jesus did something we could not do, and he did it once and for all. He saved us. He died on the cross and took the punishment that we, I, deserved for our, my sin. He destroyed the power of sin, death, and he gave us hope for freedom from sin and grace to live an abundant life with him. He made those who believe in him and place their trust in him new creations. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone and the new is here. 2 Corinthians 5.17 And we can't boast that we did anything to deserve or earn it. We weren't good enough and holy enough. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not by work so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Jesus did it all for us. He saved us. He set us free. Those in the room and around the world, past and present, who have believed in Jesus, those who have surrendered our lives, bowed our knee and hearts before Him, worship Him alone as Messiah and Savior. And He also did it for all those to come, those who live and long to know salvation and freedom and healing and hope. And those yet to be born, in those yet to be born again. But did you catch what else he has done for us in verse 9 in Ephesians? Did you see who we are in Christ? His handiwork. His unique and gifted creation. And the call he has for his people? Good works. 
prepared in advance, assigned for us. What works? Could it be that God wants us in this room, in the church, to restore, to reconcile all that has been lost, destroyed, perverted, distorted by sin? Could it be that His truth, love, and compassion are designed to flow through you and me? Not just Old Testament commands, but a New Testament empowered partnership with a living God to go out and make right what has been made wrong. To let people see who God is and what He's like and to bring back to God those who have been enslaved. To invade the broken systems and the perverted culture of our world and restore it to God's original design. Beauty. Beautiful. And it was good. This is the work of the cross. Redemption. This is the power of the Spirit. Sweeping salvation, bringing good news. And this is the call of the Father to minister to His creation. Those who have been made in His image. To show the world through the church. I'll say it again. To show the world through the church who God really is. He is the one who longs to bind up the brokenhearted and those who have been orphaned, to empty the halls of the DCF and open wide the doors of families to those who have no home. He desires to open the doors of the homes of his sons and daughters in this room to welcome the immigrant, the displaced, the fearful and hunted, the lost and poor. Come in, Shazad. Break bread with us, Samantha. Stay a while, Juliet. Sojourners in this room, share with us your stories. Take us into your journey and bravely confront the prejudice and hate and rejection you have faced. Mikasa, Sukasa, my home is your home. Our home is yours. The good work of Ephesians, the just cause, listen again as Paul talks of reconciliation. With God, yes, but also reconciliation with each other. Listen. But don't take any of this for granted. It was only yesterday that you outsiders to God's ways had no idea of any of this. Didn't know the first thing about the way of God, the way God works. Hadn't the faintest idea of Christ. You knew nothing of that rich history of God's covenants and promises to Israel. Hadn't a clue about what God was doing in the world at large. Now because of Christ dying that death, shedding that blood, you who were once out of it altogether are in on everything. The Messiah has made things up between us so that we're now together on this, both non-Jewish outsiders and Jewish insiders. He tore down the wall we used to keep each other at a, a distance. He repealed the law code that had become so clogged with fine print and footnotes that it hindered more than it helped. Then he started over. Instead of continuing with two groups of people separated by centuries of animosity and suspicion, the Jews and the Gentiles. He created a new kind of human being, a fresh start for everybody. Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. The cross got us to embrace, and that was the end of the hostility. Christ came and preached peace to you outsiders and peace to us insiders. He treated treated us as equals and so made us equals. Through him, we both share the same spirit and have equal access to the Father. The best and finest way that we see God at work in us is when he gives us supernatural love for each other. 
they will know us as Christians by how? Our love. But to love, we have to stay open, church. We have to stay humble. We have to move towards God and move towards others and not hide, not give up, not walk away. Jesus walked the cross to his death. Let us persevere to walk with him into healing and salvation for others. Let us embrace, as Paul said, each other. The sins that have divided us, jealousy, judgments, economic injustice, racism, abuse, the feeling that deep down inside who I am and where I come from and what I have and what I look like is better than you, or maybe the flip, not as good as you, that I'm in and you're out position we can take as individuals and groups of people, those are the bricks and mortar of the walls that build hostility and hate. Jesus has torn them down. His righteous anger and wrath towards sin that divides and destroys, he tore down by humbly yielding his human body to the arrogance and murder of men. But he won. Love and forgiveness always conquers hate and anger. And now his righteous anger is displayed in love that is, that is heaped upon our enemies, his enemies that turn the other cheek that replies with kindness and shares bread and prayers with those who are against us. And his radical love now flows through us, and it has the power to bring down every stronghold and bring us all to the feet of Jesus, where the offender, my enemy, will find what? What will he find at the foot of Jesus? He'll find love. He'll find forgiveness and receive salvation. If she chooses. Jesus gives peace to all of us. No more striving. No more fear. Peace. Peace. I'm with God. And if God is for me. Who can be against me? No weapon forged against me can prosper. He has come to lead me and us to a better place. In this world and the next. And he's bringing us together in a redeemed way. Paul said it this way, we're equal. The ground is level at the cross, but unique. Not a melting pot, an assimilation that causes all of his handiwork in us to disappear like the melting of an array of colorful crayons turns to a blah gray. No, he has taken our broken and now redeemed lives and is forming us together into a beautiful mosaic of color, of culture, redemptive history and unique gifts and talents and callings, not divided but united, not fractured but designed to reflect and display God. Beauty in a world so desperate to hope again. Your kingdom come here on earth, Lord, as it is in heaven, every tribe. Every time, worshiping together in joy and unity. Beauty and family restored. Our heavenly family and our earthly family. A home for the lost. A home for the enslaved. A home for the orphan. A home for the stranger. A home for the poor. A home for the rejected and oppressed. A home for the judged and maligned. I want this to be my home, don't you? 
I want to see the drug addict who spent all he had to get a quick fix now high on God and sipping the wine of fellowship in the spirit forever. I want him to find peace and fellowship in our home. I want to see the bright-eyed kid who does not know or remember his past because the pain and turmoil overshadowed his existence, who now knows savory cooked meals and food for the body and the soul around a table filled with laughter and wisdom and family. I want to see him find hope in our home. I want to see the immigrant who sold all she had to flee from where she could not stay To come to a place she dreamed would embrace her needs and dreams. I want her to find an open door in a place of refuge and service in our home. I want to see the man and woman whose skin color or neighborhood or ethnic background caused the world around them to look down upon them. To scorn them. To refuse them and abuse them. Even at times in the name of God to use them. I want them to find a listening ear, a warm embrace, and a dignified seat at the table. All of us together praying, singing, and creating in our home. Because the reality is, we have all been at one time an addict, or an orphan, or a stranger or an outcast, or maybe not with the same stories and not with the same pain, but enough to know that without God, we would be both the oppressed and the oppressor. We would be off course, stranded and left without a plan for hope, without Jesus. But in Christ, God brought us back home, and we are becoming a home together. So Paul concludes, that's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers and outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using us all irrespective of how we got here in what he's building. He used the apostles and prophets for the foundation and now he's using you fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds holds all parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God. All of us built into it, a temple in which God, a temple in which God is at home. Do you see this home coming together? Look around. Seriously, look around. I want you to look at the the people around you. Now, look at your own heart. Do you belong to God? Do you belong with the people in this room? If not, then there is a place at the table I want to invite you to. And it's with God. It's with us. There's fellowship. There's family. 
This is what it's all about, and he wants you sitting at the table, enjoying him and each other, contributing as you have been made, and extending his grace and love to those who need it most. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I pray that you are glorified right now. I pray that you are honored. I pray that, Lord, what little I was able to say is able to bring you into focus this morning. That this is what it's all about. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God so that we might be adopted into a family. So Jesus, would you be lifted up in our hearts? If there's any person in this room who is struck by the awesomeness of you, the wonder and glory of you, and has never known you in this way, I pray today would be the day they meet you. And Lord, I pray for many last few weeks and whatever you brought to heart and mind in this message we would sit with you in that place of discovery we would listen to you and we would allow you to motivate us towards good works to press in to others to care for other people to listen, to mourn to rejoice together.